What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. You know, I hope you guys really enjoyed my special UFC 275 reaction show that dropped on Sunday, and I hope you're ready for today's episode because we're going to discuss the booking of Kamara Usman versus Leon Edwards, Dana White's comments about Amanda Nunes, and finally, some answers about when we can expect Conor McGregor back in the cage. But before we get to all that, I want to begin with some more thoughts about the fallout of UFC 275. Well, guys, look, I, a little wind is taken out of my sail. A little wind is taken out of the sail of the idea that Glover Teixeira is going to be given an immediate rematch. The most that Glover has done to get himself the immediate rematch is he tweeted out the word rematch with a question mark and tag like Dana White and Yuri Prohaska. That is the most that he's done. I mean, I must tell you, it's not going to get stronger as days go by. That is not how rematches work. It's not something you eh, don't really think about today, but in four or five days, you start to reflect, and in hindsight, my God, we, we got to do that rematch. It doesn't work that way. No media works that way. Everything is hot right now. You have exactly 48 hours after a fight. Exactly. Sunday's a travel day. There's no media anywhere covering things on Sunday. Then on Monday, largely because of Errol Hawani, and you got to give Luke Thomas credit for it too, Monday became a big media day for MMA, and they're not going forward. They're still going back. When Tuesday rolls around, the news cycle for what's next is in full effect. So you only have two days. You only have two days to get this done. And whether you get the yes and you get the agreement or not, you've got to build that fire. Whatever spark there is, you're throwing the, the petroleum on it right there. And you're getting it as absolutely big as you can. Then even if it dies down a little bit, it's still bigger than any other idea that we've got out. It's just not the case here. It's just not. Glover asking for a re I, I love it. There, there's only so many things that you can do. That's not Glover's strong point. We like Glover, so we did our best to do this speaking for him did our best to get this talk and this hype going for him. Now, Glover has come out and he's explained his weight cut. And guys, we've we've touched on this over here at Bad Guy Inc. a number of times, that every time that you go out and have a fight in front of the audience, there's actually two fights. One, the audience just doesn't see and or appreciate, and that's the scale the day before. That is absolutely a battle. Every bit of your training camp, whatever you're marking on your calendar as training camp. And I have to do it with quotations. I don't fully understand what it means. I went to practice every single day at 3 o'clock. But there was a day that I would mark out mentally where the intensity would change. I think Glover does the same thing. I don't know that he packs up and goes anywhere or brings people in. He goes in and works hard every single day. But when I talk about training camp, that's also the day you start to think about making sure that you are burning more calories than you're consuming. You think about beating the scale. So if you're in training camp for eight weeks, you're really putting this side of your uh, part of your life, moving things aside to focus. I'm just sharing with you your... It's for the scale too. You will spend eight weeks trying to beat that scale. And Glover talked about it. He said, man, I didn't have a very good weight cut. It's why I got fatigued. He admitted it. My coaches were great. My partners were great. Camp was wonderful. I personally made a mistake and that's why I got tired out there. Now, I knew that Glover got tired and so did you guys. But he didn't fight like a guy that was tired. I mean, in all fairness, when the going got tough and Glover got faced with, do you want to move forward or do you not? He said yes every single time. And now Glover is apologizing performance that he was winning. I'm not sure we can accept that apology. I'm just not sure that it's owed. Does Glover feel that there was better Glovers and better moments and he could, he could specifically identify the energy that was missing because he used it on the scale the day before? Sure. Sure, I accept that. But I don't know if I can accept an apology from a guy who was winning the fight. Glover was 30 seconds. He no longer had to beat Yuri Prohaska. He just had to beat the clock. It was Glover versus the clock. That's official. The three judges' scorecards came out. One judge had it tied going into the fifth, but the other two had Glover up three to one, which means he could lose. The, I think he was winning the fifth. Now, the fact that he was in a precarious position which probably wasn't going to change in the next 30 seconds. Maybe that was enough to sway the fifth, but what I'm sharing for you is mathematically, it doesn't matter. Give Yuri the fifth. Glover still wins. Glover wins a split decision. Two judges to one. I only bring that up because this is a guy that's apologizing. He's apologizing for his performance. His performance is the greatest light heavyweight fight that I've ever seen. There was some spots. I mean, these guys traded. In pro wrestling, you call it the hope spot. Where you got the wrestler that you know is going to win that night, but the other guy has a moment where he's coming on. You think, oh my God, is this where he's coming back? That's called the hope spot. You can get your hope up if you're with the other guy. 
There was so many different hope spots in that fight where if you were Team Prohaska, you thought, okay, we're going to get the finish. We're going to win. Oh my God, it's back to Glover. And Team Glover, we're going to get the finish. We're going to get him out of here, get our hand raised. It was an amazing night. I can't, nobody gets to apologize for this. If Glover's saying there's an even better Glover, and that scale's a very real thing. I know we don't like excuses of any kind, guys, but every now and then there is a difference between a reason and an excuse. There is. Sometimes you have a reason for why you felt the way you did or why you performed the way that you did. Sometimes that's really good. Sometimes it's bad. Most of the time you can't identify it. But a reason and an excuse, I realize we're splitting hairs here, but they are important that you know. It's just not always helpful to come and tell the audience, but Glover now has my attention. I did think that Glover was fatiguing and fading just a little bit compared to Glover standards, compared to this cardio machine. And there used to be highlights that came out of Glover for his fight career that had nothing to do with him fighting. It would be Glover in like CrossFit gyms. Glover Teixeira doing CrossFit style workouts. And this is what he got more known for at a period of time. Glover won like, Glover won like 19 fights in a row, but he couldn't get the UFC. Had something to do with a visa issue. I can't totally remember it. He didn't get into the UFC until he was like 33 or 34 years old, but everybody knew who he was. And they largely knew because of what a cardio machine he was. This is what Coach Hackleman, this is what uh, Chuck Liddell, when they were bragging about this guy and telling the world how great he is and what an incredible run he could have. They were talking about his fitness. So by Glover's standards, of which is a bar that's extremely high, I will concede there was times that he looked fatigued, but there was never a time that he backed down. Never. He fought through it. And it does make me interested. In all fairness, the reason versus the excuse, it does make me interested. That is the rematch to do. And you still preserve Anthony Smith and Uncle Live as the number one contenders fight. But I just don't think it's going to go in that direction. That storm and that fire doesn't get bigger as time goes on. It diminishes. And they had a massive opportunity. And I think that Glover should have tried everything in the book, including emotionally leveraging Prohaska, I gave you an opportunity. You're a dude with a weird haircut and a name that people can't pronounce. We were the most under-anticipated main event of 2022, but I still gave you the opportunity. You must return that to me. And I've never seen anybody make that argument and have it denied. And it would be very helpful if Hoska was on board. Hey, look, I'd like to move on with it, and maybe I squeaked one away, but you're 42 years old. You had your fun. Bring in Jan. It's one of those things. It's a really it's a really interesting spot that I think that Prohaska would have gone with. And I'm not saying that this is the magic saving grace, but I think that that is ever bit as effective as sending out a tweet that says rematch question mark. The question mark is what, what screwed that up. Any kind of a power position, any kind of toughness, you take away when you put a question mark, right? Who asks questions? My son is in kindergarten. He raises his hand and waits to get called on, and then he asks a question. It's, a, it's just a very weak position. What would the difference be coming out and saying, I sure am glad that my contract has an automatic rematch clause. I spoke to Prohaska privately. He promised me a rematch. I sure am sure, glad that the UFC promised me a rematch. I am so excited that I've been promised a rematch. What would the difference be? One's from a position of power, making a statement. It's called a forced sale. They do this all the time in the cars business. You, it's just a presumed sale. Hey, what color do you want that car? And it's a presumed sale. It's a way of speaking. It's a way of negotiating. Question mark. Rematch question mark. The light heavyweight champion of the world 48 hours ago. God's got 7 billion men on this earth. You were strongest of all of them 48 hours ago. Now you're asking questions on social media. It's tough. It's a tough spot. The rematch is not going to happen. Not immediately. You have 48 hours to make those things happen. This is going to be a distant memory. I don't know who's fighting this Saturday, but I'm very confident telling you there's going to be fights this Saturday, and by tomorrow, I'm going to have that, and I'm going to be doing the official Chael prediction and doing the whole song and dance over here. Then we're going to roll right at International Fight Week. This is going to be gone. Today is the day. As much as I'm saying it's over, it's not. you got about five hours left. This has got to happen today. You need commitments today. 
Glover came out and promised Jan Blahovich if he was to beat Raychik and Glover was still the champion, he would give the rematch to Blahovich. He needs to go back to Blahovich. go, hey, remember what I did for you? I now you to go publicly and step aside. You need to go publicly and step aside and give me that fight. Then I'd be calling Anthony Smith, seeing if I could get the same deal. And if I could, I'd be coming to Ali and seeing if I could get Uncle Ayev to make the statement. Whatever it is that you have to do, whatever kind of horse train you have to do in the back, whatever favors that you have to call in, whatever begging on your knees you have to do, you are on the clock to get it done. Now, a guy that knows a thing or two about fighting at 205 pounds is someone who fought there last year, Israel Adesanya. Now I heard something today about Izzy and the future of the middleweight belt, and it got my attention, and I want to tell you about it. You guys know George. So, Ed Soros, possibly the most name recognized, possibly the most famous manager ever, Ed Soros. Ed Soros has a partner named George. They're equal, 50-50 partners, and everybody plays games, right? You would be very wise to not trust an MMA manager. It's like going to a car lot. I mean, hey, trust me, I'm a car salesman. It's, it's just one of those industries. George doesn't play those games. George is a straight-up guy, and if you if he tells you it, it's the way it is. He came out with a statement. He doesn't come out with a lot of statements. He came out with a statement today, and he said the winner of Strickland versus Piera fights for the championship. He said it's done. It's a deal. It's already been agreed on. Well, first off, that's really interesting news. And second, thank you, George, for bringing that to us. Because you just made that fight a lot more interesting. And by the way, that should be the number one contender's fight. Absolutely. And you have some complete studs in that division right now. But we do need some new blood. And watching Strickland get picked over when he's won seven fights in a row isn't right. It's not. Sean Strickland's last loss, this is off the top of my head, but wasn't even in this weight class. Oh, and by the way, it was to Kamara Usman. To Kamar Usman at 170 pounds. He hasn't even lost in this weight class. That's off the top of my head, but I believe that I'm right. Then you've got Piera. Piera is only 2-0 in the UFC. So in his third fight ever, he will be in a number one contender's fight. I watched his first two fights, as did you guys. I could not tell you who he fought. I don't mean that from a condescending jerk. I'm just sharing, in all fairness, like this is a very uh, fast ascension. It's also the right one. Piera, in professional kickboxing, beat Israel Adesanya was able to knock him out. And he occupies headspace in Adesanya's mind. And Adesanya won't hide that from anybody. And if those two were to go out and fight, the fact that Adesanya has never gone for a takedown before leads you to reasonably believe there's going to be a stand-up fight. Oh, and by the way, these two already did a stand-up fight and it went against Adesanya. I mean, I'm just sharing with you. I'm laying out the obvious. But sure, that fight works. Yeah, of course it does. And sure, Strickland works. Yeah, of course it does. But let me ask you guys a question. What's a bigger fight? Is it Piera versus Adesanya, or is it Strickland versus Adesanya? Oh, and by the way, once you give me your answer, and you could go in both ways, right? Like Piera having a win over Adesanya, that is, that is fascinating. The mere idea that we could make believe that somebody could even compete with Adesanya in the stand-up realm, that's a stretch. Well, now of course, of course we know that he can at least compete with him. But before you give me your answer, and before you hang your hat on that, don't forget, that same question will be asked, what's a bigger fight, Cannoneer versus Piera or Cannoneer versus Strickland? Because we don't know what's going to happen between Cannoneer and Adesanya, and that's the big problem when you think you have a number one contender's fight. Right when you think you have a number one contender's fight, oh, and by the way, they're all the same evening. If Adesanya was to go out and get upset by Cannoneer, Adesanya just became the number one contender for his own belt, and they're likely going to rematch that. Now, I'm only bringing this to your attention because this stuff is fun. I always think us, the audience, should be let in on those deals that are already made. If that's a number one contender's fight, that adds so much to it. And Piera versus Strickland, I am very confident in telling you guys that Strickland is a much better mixed martial artist. I'm, I'm very confident in telling you guys that. But that's a weird matchup. Strickland is a master anti-wrestler, and he's awesome at kickboxing. Now, the reality, and I only know this firsthand because he used to be my training partner on a daily basis, he's a very good offensive wrestler too, but he doesn't use it. He wants to go out and trade with you. He wants to go out and punch and kick with you. 
So before you make believe that Pierre isn't over his head taking on a veteran like Strickland, Strickland's just going to go tackle him for the better part of 15 minutes. That's not what Strickland does. It's just not. There was an interesting stat that came out on Strickland. I appreciate whoever took the time to do this, but Strickland has some of the best stand-up defense within the sport, and they just broke that down for how many? How long has he been on his feet, how many times has he been punched, or has he been kicked? And that was the same experience that I had firsthand training with him. You could not find his head. Right? That old expression, go for the body, the body doesn't move. Okay, that's true. He's he's a human being. That 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 rule was true to you. Can't find his head. It's it's a really weird thing. So you're gonna bring in somebody like Piera. I'm interested in that. I think that I think that Strickland, Sean Strickland, has the stand-up abilities of a professional kickboxer. I personally believe that. And I think what you guys have seen, you know where I'm coming from. And I think that stat about his defense, I think you know where I'm coming from. But if Pierre could go get the jump on him, absolutely, I would give him the nod. Sure. Sure, go fight for the belt. Best of luck to you. But I'm very happy to hear that that's now going to happen for Sean as well. And I think that us as an audience, knowing about that, you're definitely putting something special on it. I mean, one of the big things when you have a championship fight and the guy wins and he lives with the belt isn't just that you put rest to it that night. You now know that guy's positioning. We love to know what's next. Okay, great. The guy's a champion. We know where he's going. He's going to the main event. He's likely going on to a pay-per-view. He's likely going on against the number one contender. It's very hard that we get that with the contender. So for George to bring us this piece of information, first off, I believe it. I don't think that's any kind of a hype from a manager. George has been in this business 20 plus years. He has never hyped a fight. And I do mean never. So I do believe that deal is done. Now, to keep that deal, right, any deal that you make, you're only as good as the information that you have at the time that you make the deal. If Sonia is to go out there and get upset, maybe we're having a totally different conversation. But if everything is just to move along as it's supposed to, and Adesanya is still supposed to be the champion after July 2nd, you now do have a question. Who do you want to, who do you want to see standing across from him? Do you want to see Sean Strickland, or do you want to see this business with Pierre just because we've all heard a story of those two kickboxes at some point? And I'm asking you straight up, for you right now with the limited information you're given, Piera or Strickland, not who do you think is going to win, I'm asking you who do you hope wins? Do you suffer from poor sleep, low energy, high stress, magnesium deficiency might be the root of your issue. And folks at BioOptimizers have a solution. They just released their new and improved formula for magnesium breakthrough, the most powerful magnesium supplement on the market today. Their new updated formula of magnesium breakthrough is now even more potent and effective for reducing stress, improving sleep, and boosting energy levels. If you've already taken Magnesium Breakthrough, you're gonna wanna try this new fourth generation formula as soon as you can, because it now includes cofactors like B6 and manganese, which will help with the absorption of magnesium. And if you've never tried Magnesium Breakthrough before, now is the perfect time to try it, and here's why. In every bottle of Magnesium Breakthrough, you're going to get seven unique forms of organic, full-spectrum magnesium, which can dramatically improve your health. It can help you sleep longer and deeper, reduce stress levels, and help you feel calm, and give you abundant, all-day energy to win at life. And because it supports mental wellness, Magnesium Breakthrough can help you finally feel like yourself again. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed and you will be amazed by the improvements in your mood and energy levels and just how much more rested you feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer for my listeners only, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Use the promo code CHAIL at checkout. That's going to save you 10% and get you free shipping. Oh, and one last thing. If you want your loved ones to be healthier, consider giving them the gift of Magnesium Breakthrough for Father's Day or even for a spring birthday. Again, that special link is magbreakthrough.com slash Use the promo code CHAIL at checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. versus Edwards, two months away going to Salt Lake City, right? That came out over the weekend. Time out. Not so fast. Stop the presses, if you will. What delayed this fight? 
It is absolutely incumbent that we get an answer to that question. The media needs to stay on this every question they get until we get an answer to that question. It's very relevant. If you're going into these fights, this isn't just picking with your buddies, right? You want to be right. You want to know who's going to win. A lot of you handicap these things. A lot of you go over to DraftKings, set up an account, use the promo code CHAIL and get yourself in all the fun. But it, right, guys, we got to know what delayed this. I have never seen in the history of my time of being a fan, which dates back to 1993, a fight that was announced is going to happen. Have as much time goes by. We're looking at six and a half months. Six and a half months has gone by. From the night we were told it was going to be Usman versus Edwards to the night that we find out that they've got a date. And by the way, that's still two months delayed. From the day that a fight was told to us is going to happen to the day that they actually walk out, there will be eight and a half months. Why? What happened? We have to know that. You absolutely must get to the bottom of that. And you know what, guys? There's not even a good rumor. There's not even a good rumor. We thought we knew. Kamar Usman shows up and he's got a cast on his hand. He had undergone a surgery that we never knew that he was looking to go into. So we thought we had our answer, but not a lot was made of that. I see Kamar Usman every couple of months with Eagle FC. He's got the cast on. All of a sudden, he doesn't have the cast on. He looks like a million bucks, like he's training really hard. Every time you hear from guys in the gym, whether it was Gaethje getting ready to fight, even the guys back in uh, Sanford MMA, Kamar Usman's in the room. He's training. So I don't know that our holdup was with Kamara, but Leon, we haven't heard anything about him either. We haven't heard of an injury. We haven't heard of an illness. We haven't heard of this being delayed. We heard strong rumors that that was going to be the match of International Fight Week. All of a sudden, it's Adesanya Cannoneer, and you're not even hearing of Usman and Edwards. And are you staying with me on this? Like, If we're going to predict who's going to win this fight and how they're both doing and how training and how preparation is going, we have to look at the elephant in the room that's staring us right in the face. What in the hell caused a delay of eight and a half months? That's shocking to me. You can't keep a secret in this sport. If it's as simple as Usman's hand, I that would have come out. There was never talk of an interim championship. At welterweight. Like, those words were never discussed. There was never Chemayev trying to buy and, and, and get his way in there, and he's going to take on, fill in the blank, or what are we going to do with Edwards? Like, this, it was never discussed. Eight and a half months from the day we were told a fight's going to happen until it's going to happen. I think that it's the most interesting thing about it, quite frankly. One of them must have been ill or injured. They must have been. Based on, I don't have a third guess to you. But whatever it was, it was very contained. It was very controlled. It was to the point that nobody got frustrated. Nobody was looking to do knee-jerk reactions. Nobody was looking to replace it. The fight wasn't announced and then pulled and then put somewhere else. It was never announced in the first place. I really think that we've got to get to the bottom of that. Like We, we must find out precisely what happened. And then 170 pounds, okay, we've got this fight. And that's been holding everything up. When is this fight going to go? Because if you're talking about championship matches, or moreover, what we love to have, more than championship matches, guys, you know what we love to have? We love to have number one contenders matches. I don't think we have a discussion of anything greater and more passionately than who should be next. Not who is next, not who's got it, not even who grabbing the belt right now. Trying to identify amongst the field who should be the one to get the respect and get the nod. And we can't begin to have a number one contenders fight until we can get this business settled, which apparently now is going to be in August. Okay, great. But 170 is up in the air. I mean, what are you going to do with Chemayev? To not put Chemayev and Burns in a rematch, if neither one of them has anything to do, seems like such an obvious one. But we're not doing that. Chemayev versus Nate Diaz came out of nowhere. We all loved it. It was going to be a co-main event, but then it, it just went away. Lahal Mohammed is more than ready. More than ready. Training for it already. Just waiting for somebody to make it official to take on Chemayev, who's the hardest guy to find an opponent for from what we are told. And that isn't being made. What is going on at 170? And I think those pieces are going to fall into place pretty quickly. Where is Colby at? Can, can slash will Colby fight while he has this legal thing going on? Which then, of course, answers the same question for Masvidal. Can slash will Masvidal fight as long as this legal thing is looming? Luke has gone oddly quiet. I don't think that he needs to. Just because he stubbed his toe one time, he won seven straight. He's the top guy. He's a big name. I think he feels that he's pushed to the bottom of the line and he's, he's just happy to go there. I don't think that he should be. 
Jeff Neal's doing great things. Mil Neil Magny's ready at all times. Where in the hell has Kiesa been? Like, there's a lot of things at 170 with some of our absolute favorite fighters that are a really big mystery. And I don't think that those pieces can begin to be put on the board. And I don't believe that that problem can begin to be worked out when you don't know who's fighting for contenderships because you don't know who's fighting for championships or, moreover, when that championship's going to be. Now we know. Now we know it's in August, so everything else gets to fall right into line. And every 170-pound uh, match that's booked right now and is being featured all of a sudden just got a little bit more reason, just got a little bit more potential excitement added to it because one of these things is going to become the number one contenders match. Not to mention, if I can go back to Chemayev and Burns, if Chemayev does end up in something else, which I think is going to be Blahal Muhammad, where the hell does Burns go? What do you do with Sean Brady? What do you do with the kid out of Kakistan who's undefeated in 15-0? Like 170 pounds is awesome. It is awesome right now, but we got to put a fat, we got to put a spotlight on it. We got to start really looking into what matters and what order. We got to really know that the rankings. We got to find out. And am I onto something? Is Colby and Masvidal are they on ice until whatever that is gets resolved? I don't know. It would seem like quite possibly. I don't know that Colby has asked for anything. I know that Masvidal has been speaking up a little bit, but Masvidal is going in the direction of Conor McGregor, who we're told might be out until 2023. A lot of questions on 170, right, guys? That's the only point that I'm trying to prove. Like, we love that weight class. We love the athletes that are in it. But to get any kind of perspective in terms of direction we're going... To do that without knowing when the champ Kamara Usman and when Leon Edwards, his next opponent, without knowing when they were going to fight, everything's at a freeze. Now we at least know Jemaya versus Usman coming up in August. The media needs to do a better job of finding out what was the delay in the first place. So speaking of 170 pounds, it's a division that Conor McGregor has been linked to for his return. Now, I've been talking to you guys for months about when I think Conor will come back, but it's all been speculation and we finally have some clarity. Errol Hawani came out, guys, and if there's a backstory to this or there's some context that I missed, I really did look into it, but Ariel had a statement and he just said it looks as though Conor McGregor's return might be postponed until 2023. Great. Let me just stop you right there, though. Without knowing the 50 words that Errol used before that or the 50 words that came after that, Conor McGregor's return might be held off until 2023. That's the best thing for the industry. We need that to be stop. Hard stop right there. That needs to be the message. Let me tell you why. As soon as I heard that, I thought, oh my goodness, if we kick the can until 2023, we don't have to do the guessing game. We don't have to do the back and forth. Do you know how much easier it is going to be to make fights for the balance of 2022? You have Charles Oliveira right now willing to fight anybody, but wanting to fight Conor McGregor. You have Volkanovsky, who's got a fight coming up with Max Holloway, but he was talking about wanting to go up and fight Conor McGregor. You have Henry Cejudo, who's returning, we believe, at 135 pounds, but he's doing interviews about meeting Connor and going up to 155. I mean, not for nothing. Some of those are realistic to happen, right? I mean, if Charles Oliveira really wants to put his foot down and Conor McGregor really is going to come back, that might be the match, which holds up all of 155 pounds. Now we're talking about Michael Chandler versus Conor McGregor. I realize that's just the topic of the week. But I'm sharing for you Chandler, who is one of your favorite fighters to see fight, he is one of the top draws. He absolutely matters within the division if he starts straight-arming other ideas that are coming his way because he thinks that Red Panda Night is coming his way. It's one of those things. It really is one of those things. George Masvidal, whatever the delay is, right? But do you know how many guys I can tie back to Conor McGregor? Nate Diaz, Dustin Poirier. And do you know how many guys I could tie right back to an active public interest in fighting Conor McGregor? who behind the scenes, if they really felt there was some momentum here, would try to deflect anything else that came their way. The best thing that you could possibly have for matchmaking the sport right now, particularly the names that I just dropped for you, is that there's no Conor McGregor. Stop. 
you're going to have to do something else. You might even have to do two something else's before the conversation of that potential one even comes about. It would be the best thing if we just operated under that assumption. Whether it's right or not, let's just operate under the assumption Conor McGregor's not coming back to 2023. Do you know how much business we could just get on with? I've never thought about it from this perspective until I saw that Ariel said that. There was almost a relief within the room. There was almost an exhale. Oh, okay. Let's move forward. We don't have to worry what weight, what division it's going to be. And by the way, how does Conor McGregor sit with Poirier and Masvidal? When those guys are buddies and friends and teammates, but they both want the same fight. Is that no big deal at all? I could use myself and go back to the Team Quest days. That wouldn't have mattered in the least. If Matt Lindland, Chris Lieben, Nate Quarry were all looking for the same opponent, all in the same way, nobody would have had hard feelings. But I know some other gyms where that, that is a real problem. I can remember the night that Matt Hughes fought Carlos Newton. Matt actually won, became the champion of the world. But Matt thought that was Pat Miletic's fight, who not only was his teammate, it was his coach. And Matt didn't want to do it. He had to go to Pat and get the blessing. And Pat was all for it. And Pat quartered him and off you go. I'm just sharing for you an example that popped into my head. That, that's a real thing at times. There are some gyms and some teams where if another guy, you know, calls dibs, puts his quarter on the machine, boom, he's playing next. And I've never heard of that factoring. And in all fairness, I'm not trying to get in the way of something. I don't think that it should. There are two different weight classes. You don't know where Connor's going to go. I'm not looking to create a problem here. I'm just asking, have you ever thought about it in that perspective? What's that like? They're both out doing interviews. They're both pining for something. They're both in the gym. They're both working hard. They're both excited. They go see each other. Oh, and by the way, it's the same goal. And only one only one of you guys is, is going to go to the dance with a girl. I don't, I don't know if that's problematic. I don't know. I'm just suggesting for you what is. What would that look like? How would that get settled? Conor McGregor, speaking of, he did a workout over the weekend. Conor's very good at giving us just enough. Conor will tell a story without words. When is Conor McGregor going to return? Is it going to be in 2023 because his leg is not healed? That's the topic right now. Conor McGregor won't address that at all, but he put out a video of himself kicking a heavy bag with that injured leg as hard as a person can possibly kick a heavy bag. And it's very brilliant. It's very brilliant to make us have questions and refuse to give us answers, to just make us speculate. As simple as that may seem, the master at work, it's effective. And when I do watch him do that kick that he put out, I think it was on Instagram over the weekend, it truly was as hard as any person could ever kick a heavy bag. Wouldn't matter if the leg was injured, not injured, like you wouldn't even know that. You would have no evidence of that. And what is the point of that? Is that psychological for Connor? Because I don't think I would do the same in that spot. I, I never had to deal with injury. I, I always here and there, but never an injury. But I think if I was injured, I, that is now a weapon I'm not going to use again. I'm not reaching to that holster, I think. I mean, how much do you have to have that one specific kick anywhere in your repertoire? Does it really affect your game? Guys have been in fights before and a hand gets hurt. They can't use the hand the rest of the fight. I mean, certainly it would hinder you, certainly would set you back. But if you knew about it ahead of time, you had so many other tools to go to. Do you really need to make sure that that's at 100%? Like people are always going to ask Connor that. Is your leg at 100%? And he's going to be inclined to say yes. I see everybody that's ever gone through that says yes or they go further. It's stronger than ever. It's stronger than it used to be. What if it's not? What difference does it make? Shelf it. Put it in the back. Don't use that weapon. Fine if your opponent knows. So what? That's another side to it. I mean, I'm just asking, right? Very easy for me. I'm safe and sound in my chair over here. It would just seem as though, what, what's the big deal? Why, why do I got to go test this? Why do I got to kick with this leg in the gym? Why do I got to make sure it's 100%? Do the other things feel pretty good? All right, pretty good is as close as you're going to get in a fist fight. Go. But I will share with you, if Conor McGregor is removed until 2023, even if that is not accurate information, if that's the information that our industry can have a working assumption under getting guys to say yes and getting some of our top guys matched up and getting them to get on with it, absent of the hope of Red Penny Night for the balance of 2022 is going to be a lot easier to do. So I am going to echo what Ariel said. I have no evidence and I don't even know if it's accurate. Conor McGregor's out till 2023.
to close out today's show, I want to focus on some of the greatest female champions of all time and some interesting comments that Ronda Rousey made and also something that Dana White said about Amanda Nunes. Now, let's dive into that. Dana White was doing an interview. He made a very interesting comment on Amanda Nunes. It was just an observation, but he said, Amanda is not the young, hungry savage that she was on her title run. Then Dana just qualified it. He said, look, she's got a family now and she's got a daughter. She's got her own business. She has millions of dollars. She's achieved the height. She's got goat status. I mean, everybody thinks that Amanda's down on her lips. I, I feel as though you guys are... Amanda's the world champion. Do you, Are you guys not aware of that? Does anybody want to correct me? Well, Chael, she most certainly is not. Juliana Pena is. I watched her win it. Amanda's the world champion. 145 pounds right now. She is the champion of the world with the big, beautiful participation points to go with it. She is also the number one contender at 135 pounds, which should she win would make her champ champ. And we've seen some champ champs. We have not seen champ champ again, right? I mean, that's the beauty to losing. If you want to be a two-time champion, you have to have lost the belt somewhere along the way. There's a number of people that try to play a vernacular game and cheat that system. Like they'll defend the belt five times and then declare themselves a five-time champion. You're not. You're a one-time champion. I don't make the rules. I'm not trying to take away from you. If you want to be a five-time champion, you had to have lost the thing in between. It could have been vacated. It could have been stripped. You could have been defeated. Either way, you got to lose the thing to come back and get it. She, Amanda, is now in a spot to be champ champ again. It would make her the first ever two-time champ champ. I mean, it's an interesting spot. Before you go and feel terrible for Amanda, I thought I would just add that. I thought I would just throw that in there. She's in, she's in an amazing opportunity right now if she looks at it that way. It's the same thing with Charles Oliveira. He is now in an opportunity to become a two-time lightweight champion of the world, which he would not have had had he not been stripped in the first place. Now, you do what you want with that, right? That's not a positive spin. That's just a reality. I'm making sure that we have our vernacular right. But the days of thinking that we, we've got to re- draw Amanda. We've got to rethink Amanda. She's changing gyms and she's getting new coaches and new workout partners. We got to throw the bath out with the baby water, baby out with the bath. You got the expression. The point is this, guys, there was one completed round the night that Amanda lost her championship. One. One round had been completed where three licensed judges turned a scorecard in. They all had it the same way that you all had it. The same way that Juliana Pena herself had it, which is that Amanda won. Amanda lost a position in that match, and we talk about it all the time. If you ever find yourself in a fight that's harder than you thought it was going to be, that nothing will unravel an athlete quicker than that, mentally. Nothing will mentally rattle and start to wind an athlete down and make them want to quit and sail it in and try another night. Nothing will terrify and scare you and make you have to do what we psychologically call taking inventory. I'm seven minutes in. I have one round down. It's a five-round fight. If I'm feeling like this now, times that by four, I won't be able to defend myself at all times. I better get out of here right now. That's what happens. That's all that happened there. Amanda hit Juliana Pena as hard as she could in the face repeatedly. Every other time in Amanda's career where she has hit somebody as hard as she can in the face, that person went down and the fight was over. Conor McGregor is the closest that has ever come and said what I just said and admitted it to you, the audience. And it was his first fight with Nate Diaz. But that's exactly what happened. Conor hit Nate with missiles that put everybody else down. Put Jose Aldo down in 11 seconds. Put Eddie Alvarez down before they ever saw the third round. Put down every single... He hit Nate with it. Nate walked forward. It didn't hurt him. It's a bigger guy. He had a better chin. He could take the shot, but it makes things unravel. So I bring that to you because Dana is most definitely correct. Most definitely. That hunger you have, that necessity to win, is a very helpful motivator. I must win. That is a very helpful motivator. I've been in that spot. One of the, the toughest financial times of my life, but I had $20,000 in checks and bills envelopes filled out in a stack on my desk. I could not take those to the mailbox. So they would have, they would have bounced. And I had I had a fight coming up and I just I had to make it. I just I had to I had to get through that. And a number of fighters will be able to relate to that. 
But that built-in necessity of I must, I have to, I have to win. It's very different than I want to win. And we have seen athletes overcome it, but they're very few. Floyd Mayweather. Never really got his credit for that, but Floyd was a purist. He was a competitor. He wanted to win. He wanted to be the best. The money happened to come along with it, but that was not what drove Floyd. That was good news because the good news is when the money came, his motivation isn't now gone. His motivation remains because it was never tied to the money. Now, I don't know, I don't know that we know enough about Amanda to make this statement. And we definitely don't know enough about Amanda based on the fight where one round was completed. Ding, ding. She won. She won the round. She was winning the fight. We don't know enough about her to know. But is she going to do what Conor McGregor did when he rematched Nate Diaz and be more efficient with the energy? Because that's a very risky game, right? Imagine Amanda comes out and she doesn't throw 100% behind those punches. Juliana got her respect to the point that Amanda is not going to hit her with everything she's got. She's going to lessen. That's a very different fight. Very different fight for Juliana. Very different strategy by Amanda to extend that energy. Go out, get those three rounds that you need before you start sailing in and giving up position and let another person on top of you as you eat up the clock. It's very different. Now, Juliana doesn't have that same urgency. She's not going to be under that same fire. One of the reasons that Juliana's wrestling worked so well is she had an urgency. If I don't take her down, I could get knocked out. Even if I don't get knocked out, these are really hurting me. It would change the fight. Would it be good or, or good or bad? I don't know. I don't have the foggiest idea, but it, it, it would be interesting, right? If that's going to be a different contest, it's going to be interesting because Juliana's still going to be able to take those punches, and those punches have not gotten harder. Amanda has definitely peaked out. She throws perfect punches with an incredible amount of power. She knows her range. All those boxes you want to check, but it's not going to get more. And Juliana's chin is not going to get less. So there's going to have to be a different strategy and style by Amanda. And maybe Dana's hitting it on the head. It all has to do with hunger. And this is Amanda's uh, moment to show us. Is she like everybody else where your motivation is directly tied to your earnings? Or is she that rare one like Floyd Mayweather? Where the money was a byproduct. I was never here for that in the first place. It's all about achievement. That's a very rare athlete. Floyd gets a very rare credit for having that and be able to pursue it and have a career as long as he did, as effective as he did with all the money that he brought in. I don't know which one Amanda is. I don't know that Amanda knows. Right now, she's confused. She's a little bit lost. She forgets she's the sitting world champion. She has no idea that, oh my goodness, should I get this back over Jules? Not only do I have a massive trilogy fight likely that I could feed into, I will be the first ever champ champ. I don't think she's looking at it like that. Or if she's looking at it from a different perspective, which a lot of fighters do, which are, hey, win or lose, my time is going to be up some point, and I've got a whole bunch of money and a business and a family waiting for me. I don't know, but that psychological approach matters. And it doesn't come when Bruce Buffer gets out of the ring and they shut the door. It doesn't come when you leave the locker room that night after you got your hands taped up and you got a good warm-up with your coach. It comes right now. It comes in training camp. Who's hungrier? You guys remember Aljo Sterling, but Aljo going in against Peter Yan. Aljo was the underdog. We predicted him very strongly over here. We predicted Sterling because Sterling did not know he was the champion. He behaved and he spoke like somebody who was going out to win the championship in the first place. And I'm getting that same sense from Juliana Pena. She's pissed off. People are questioning her. She doesn't like that. She's got a bit of a chip on her shoulder. She did an interview a week ago saying that Dana's upset that she won, that Dana's golden goose is gone. None of that is true. Business is much better the way that it is now. But if she believes it, she's letting us in on the mindset that she's a lot like Aljo. She's still hungry. She still thinks she's going out there to win something. Those things all matter. As you get down to a fight, you can talk about the punching and slipping outside and roll this way, southpaw versus orthodox. You can do that, but you're missing what makes winners and what makes losers. Either you quit before I quit or vice versa. That's who's going to win. That's not what the audience is told, but that's what every fighter knows. Either you want this more than I want it, or it's vice versa. And that's where somebody's approach and their, and their hunger in training camp becomes so relevant. Right now, we haven't heard a lot from Amanda, but we never do. We never really hear a lot from Amanda. But the one statement that we've heard that was made by Dana is a fair statement. Yeah, she's not in the same position. She doesn't have to win. So now she's going to be faced with a question that we're all going to learn together. Does she want 
to win absent the beautiful prize. Ronda Rousey made an interesting comment. She said that if she was going to come back for any fight in MMA, it would be Gina Carano. Now, what's Ronda doing? What, what is she up to? Is she trying to get a pro wrestling match with Gina Carano? That would be the most reasonable guess. I can't remember those two paths very well. Gina was a really big deal. And then Ronda came along and was a very big deal. They were both in strike force at the same time or similar times. I can't remember. But they were always separated by a weight class or two. Did Gina fight at 145? Or was it 155? Either way, it was never 135. So I don't know how close those two were ever to crossing paths. But now Ronda has mentioned her name. Ronda came out and said, if I was to come back to MMA, I would do it. I would do this match with Gina Carano. Now, we could never get them together. Even if you found a promoter that just for fun, like neither one of you are ever going anywhere, but we're going to do this one night only. And that's the thing, like they do that in boxing or they do that in professional wrestling. There's nobody with an MMA, right? That's not what Scott Coker does or Chachery does. It's not what Dana White does. But Ronda still said it for a reason. What is she up to? Because I would be very interested in that. I mean, I know that we would never get our way. Nobody is going to book that. Nobody is going to do that with two girls that are never going to come back. It's just one of those things. You're not going to get a big promoter to ever go down that rabbit hole. But you're also not going to get Ronda Rousey to talk about if I was to come back to MMA and give you any hope to dangle anything in front of you. Not to mention, she says, Gina, I don't remember those two having heat. I just don't remember that. Did it happen? I remember the Gina with the cyborg business, and then the cyborg went right into the Ronda business, and that's where the weights became extremely relevant. But I don't remember the Gina versus the Ronda. I don't even remember that talk being out there. So what's Ronda really up to? Did she just make a comment? Was she just speaking from the heart, and that's the one person that would bring her back? I would not begrudge her if it did. But a great worker like Ronda, and she is a great worker, I think that she's after something, and possibly it's a match with Gina Carano. Like, if anybody could make that, it would be Vince McMahon. I don't know that that would go anywhere, and I actually disagree with the booking. If you're going to bring Gina in opposite Ronda, you bring Gina in muscle to help protect Ronda. You would do an angle where Ronda's out there, there's two or three girls that are picking on her, they're giving a hard time, they're beating her up. Every time she comes to do an interview, they do it three, four nights in a row, they all jump on her, Ronda's got no friends, boom, you hit the music, outruns Gina. Now it's Gina with Ronda. It's a very different angle, what's Ronda up to? I don't know. I'm just bringing it to your attention. Was she just being a nice, sweet girl, Rhonda? Somebody asked her a question and she just answered it honestly. And she's always had this whatever with Gina and it was that time frame and they never got it settled. Maybe. But I don't know. I'll tell you another one. Floyd Mayweather not paying Logan Paul. Now, if you were to ask me, if Logan was to sit down with me and go, Chael, how do I get my money? It wasn't licensed. It wasn't bonded. I took the dude at his worth. He seems like an honest guy. We shook hands. He knows what it's like to go out there, work hard, and get stiffed. He's not going to do it. Oh, and by the way, he brags about being super rich. I thought I was protected. Like anybody. Anybody that gets duped in money, right? There's an old expression. He who brags of wealth, make him pay in advance. One thing you're never going to get a rich guy to do is to tell you I'm a rich guy. Like, that will never happen. If somebody tells you they are a rich guy, they're not. It's one and the same, and it's 100% of the time. But either way this happened to Logan, if he would have asked me, hey, Chet, what do I need to do? What would be the best course to get paid? Okay, contact Floyd, talk to him a few times, eventually leverage it and let him know, if I'm not paid something, if you don't make a good faith payment by this date, I'm going to go public with it. Now, as simple as that might seem, I would think that that would work. Somebody like Floyd does not, I mean, you're calling a guy that stiffs another guy. You have a bargain with somebody. It doesn't matter what it is. If a guy's going to come build your deck or he's going to paint that, if you have a bargain with somebody and you don't honor it after they provide the good or the service, this is very bad by man code. That person will be looked at differently forever. He's not going to want that, particularly if he's going to continue to try to do business within a community. I'd have been wrong. Point like Floyd didn't give a damn. 
Floyd not only didn't care, not only didn't pay him when he said this, it has now gone legal, it has now gone public, and Floyd still does not care. Floyd hasn't even really addressed it other than to say, it's not my job to pay him. I mean, he deflected and pushed it off onto something else. And I don't like that that happened to Logan, because if I was in Logan's spot, I would have done the same deductions that he did. We would have shaken hands and we would, we would have moved on. I can't remember a, a, a big fight in my career that I ever, ever had the paperwork in line or that I would even know where the paperwork was. It's just not how our business worked. You shake hands with these guys you're dealing with, it's over the phone, it's a text message, boom, off you go. And everybody honored it. Always. Everybody always honored. Now you're doing business with Floyd, which the money team is not real. I mean, I, I've pled with you guys to understand that. I've pled with you guys to understand Floyd Mayweather is not a boxing promoter. He does not have distribution. He does not have offices. He is not licensed and bonded. That's not real. It's part of the great marketing of Floyd, and he has strong-armed everybody all the way up to Showtime to announce in co-promotion with the money team and hang his banner in the arena. It's not real. But I don't know if Floyd knows that. I don't know if that he knows he isn't a real company, by the way. And by the way, not paying somebody after they went out there and did that, but you got your in. I mean, it, it's as bad as it gets. And he does not seem to care. That would have been a missed call by me, a complete misprediction. And I think I tie Floyd in with Ronda and Gina and the pro wrestling. I, mean, I think I'm thinking of that whole thing because Floyd is now a professional wrestler. He had some something announced today. It's going to be over in Ryzen. They're calling it boxing, but right. I mean, he went over there once before and he did, he did one of these somethings. And a few weeks ago, he was on a rooftop in Abu Dhabi doing one of these somethings. And I don't begrudge Floyd. I am green with envy. I am jealous of this position that Floyd has got himself in to have this real skill and this real talent, be able to go make $8 million over in Japan making believe that you're doing something and do be the world. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. Like, I really don't begrudge him. It's just interesting. It would seem like if you're going to be a pro wrestler, going to pro wrestling. But when you take pro wrestling, you go do it in a different organization, in this case within Ryzen, he deserves credit. I mean, that's a master magician. Look at this hand so you don't see what this hand's doing. Make a deal in Florida while you're living in Las Vegas and you're doing business with Japan. Like, they're never, they're never going to garnish any wages. They're never going to go after anything. It would be a shell corporation at most. It would have a judgment against about the money team. Like, like lo there's no move here for Logan. There's no play here. There's no way to get it back. The whole thing was, I provided a good and a service for you, and we had a deal. Are you going to honor the deal or not? Floyd said no. And he doesn't seem to care. All right, guys. That's it for today's program. Thank you for listening. And for all of you that have been leaving us reviews on Apple Podcasts, like the one from G that says, the biggest personality in MMA now has the best podcast in MMA. Well, thank you, G. I'm going to be back with more of this world-class podcast on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.